I was preparing this lesson and thinking as I was writing a bit about the tone. And then I gave this lesson in the first service and I was surprised by the tone because the tone was much more somber than I'd had in mind. Uh, what I had in mind when I was writing it was um, motivational. <laughs> what it came out was like, That's how it came out. <laughs> but that isn't what I intended, and I'm not sure it won't do that again. So here we go. So before we begin to talk about Jonah, I want to tell you a story that happened with this community of communities that I was just talking about. It is, um, I told it either after one of the services, so this I'm actually going to put it in on the recording. So the community of communities forming in Wake County, uh, trying to get congregations to work together to uh, leverage our relationships with each other to be able to work on behalf of something bigger for us as a community. Well, anyway, at one of the orientation meetings, the liberal, uh, the, the trainer talk, told a story that sounded really liberal. There was uh, something mentioned about Saul Alinsky. And if you know Saul Alinsky's name, it's probably because of the 2008 election in which Saul Alinsky was painted as a communist or a socialist, whatever would inflame negative feelings toward Barack Obama and his years as a community organizer. And the trainer stole, told a story about Jesus. And this was a story about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So both of those things kind of came up. One of the people in our community heard someone come out after the uh, training session and say, oh, these people shoving Jesus down our throat. I can't be part of this. And I heard someone say, oh, these people shoving Saul Alinsky down our throat. I can't be part of this. And I thought, I really feel for those trainers. <laughs> Because how in the world are they going to navigate this hypertension that goes on in our society because it is just a hyperpolarized moment in history? Well, here's the thing. There is no other place in Wake County that is tr attempting to do what this group is attempting. What this group is attempting to do is help us break out of these silos that we stay in where we snipe at the other. The way George framed the song today, that we're together in this, not just those of us who think the same kinds of thoughts, but we're together in this thing because there's no way to get away from each other. We are together in this. So this group is attempting to get groups together that in the past have said, I can't work with you because you baptize the wrong way. Or... I can't work with you because you pray in tongues and I find that embarrassing. Or, I can't work with you because you're black or because you're white or because you're brown or because you're rich or because you're poor or because you're liberal or because you're conservative or because you're Jewish or because you're Muslim, so I can't work with you. And there's nowhere in Wake County that is attempting on a scale like this to put into practice this thing that we've been teaching oneness that is not sameness. So here's the thing, too liberal or too conservative will keep us from getting there. 
You can't do it because we're not going to stop being liberal people and we're not going to stop being conservative people and without one another, we're not going to go forward. So we've got to learn how to do stuff we don't know how to do. You and I live in a stewing soup that makes it very difficult to be able to do anything other than just highlight our own little picture. So the script is well rehearsed, you know it, and it is being force-fed to us. And the script goes, oh, those people on the religious right forcing their morality on us. Or, oh, those radical liberals forcing their socialism on us. We all know the script. We know how it goes. But here's the thing. As a spiritual community, we are followers of Jesus, which means that we are inheritors of Abraham's mandate Here's the reason I'll bless you, Abraham, so that you can bless all of the nations of the earth, all the nations, all the people, all the earth. That's our mandate. So if all we can muster is to react along with everybody else to whichever version of this force-fed script that we tend to listen to, we're going to miss our mission. So I retell that story about that training because... This week, in response to last Sunday's lesson, I had two conversations. Uh, I am really grateful that these people came to talk with me. I'm glad that we are living out what we say we believe, that you can be your realest self. You can disagree with the minister here. You can be your truest, most authentic self. I'm glad we live that out. I'm glad these people came to me. And conversation one went like this. Doug, I do trust you, but... Words, 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 words. And what I heard was... Sunday's lesson sounded a lot like conservative bashing. Conversation two went, Doug, thank you, and then words and words and words and words and words. And what I heard was, smug, liberal superiority, go get them, Doug, tell them that righteousness is on our side. And both of those conversations ended well. <laughs> I say that because it didn't go well in between. <clears throat> there may have been a little Doug frustration, and you know, sometimes that word that I say that my wife says you can't say in church starts with an F, I might have happened. <laughs> but in both of those conversations, I said this, let me tell you what the, this week's lesson said. I know what you heard, but that is not what was said. You hear the tone? You hear how it's going? <laughs> What I said was, when we are afraid, when we are threatened, we human beings tend to circle the wagons. Under fear, we human beings tend to outgroup some version of the other. And that was happening in Israel 600 years ago, and we are feeling threatened today, and it is human to do this, so let's beware. That's what I said. But here's the problem. I said it during a week when this force-feed story machine has a really emotional case study to work with, because our attorney general imposed a very ill-considered policy, zero tolerance resulting in several thousand children being separated from their families, and we can't seem to be able to figure out how to get them all reunited. We've even deported some parents, and we did it without their children, and now we can't find them to get their children back together with them, and that is emotionally evocative. Now, here's the thing. I've spoken to a lot of conservative people, 
And nobody I've spoken to, not conservatives, not Trump voters, not our two Republican senators that I wrote to say, hey, stop this craziness. They wrote back and said, well, look, we think this is crazy too. Nobody thinks this is a good approach to immigration reform. It was ill-advised, and it happened, and it's still happening. Well, in that context, with that kind of emotionally evocative thing going on, the conservative force-feed story machine is railing on the liberal lawmakers, and the liberal force-feed story machine is railing on moral decrepitude, and the big machines are doing the force-feeding, and I had the temerity to stand up that week and say the words in church, foreigner and stranger. Oh! Both of which, by the way, are really important words in both the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures. Both of which, by the way, speak to our role as spiritual people. But that week, I dared to use those words in church, and so off our brains go, sucked into the force-fed narrative. And our minds, when we get sucked in, tend to close down to ancient wisdom. And our minds tend to get sucked into this well-rehearsed polarity that keeps us apart. And we don't elevate our vision. And we don't learn from the past. And we don't take up the mandate given us in our religion to be the conscience of our society. And we don't become arbiters of solutions to help us get from here to there. All of that and Abraham's mandate and our heritage goes out the window because the story machine isn't just out there somewhere, it's also in here. So off we go, defending against being bashed or shaming with moral uh, superiority those who we deem inferior. And that's when that word tends to come into my mind. <laughs> that's when uh, the frustration mounts. But after the frustration had mounted, and after I'd had a moment, and after I was meditating, and I had a dear friend kind of talk me off the ledge, I was again so deeply grateful for these people who came to talk with me. Because in the process, my ledge-talking friend gave me a metaphor. And she said, well, you know, here we are, almost two, week, two years since the election, and we are still vulnerable to this force-feed story machine. And, she helped me see, the reason that we're so vulnerable to getting sucked into the polarity is because this is really tough. This is not easy. This is calculus. <laughs> this isn't basic math. This is calculus. That's how difficult this is. And we have to factor that in. Because if we think this is easy, we'll pull out the easy button. And this doesn't lend itself to the easy button. This lends itself to studying hard and going to tutoring after class because we didn't get it and making sure that we do all the assignments and making sure that we ask all the questions that we need to ask and making sure that we show up to all the lectures and making sure that we get all the help and we're in the study groups and we do all the things that we can because this is really, really tough. Also because... We cannot afford to fail this class. We cannot afford to fail this class. 
If all we do as spiritual people, as the conscience of our nation, if all we do is get sucked into the force-fed story, then we will not be able to point our families out of this pickle. We will not be able to point our neighborhoods out and our friends out. We will not be able to fulfill our mandate as religious people. We will not be able to bless all the people of all the earth. So I want to remind you of the Amos lesson a year, two years ago now. If you didn't hear it, you can go listen online. Just put in Amos in the little search button, they'll come up. And I especially want you to remember the book report that I inserted right into the middle of that lesson on the book, The Righteous Mind by Height. Our society will never get better without conservatives and liberals practicing oneness that is not sameness. Our society will never get better without black people and white people and brown people and yellow people all being together in this. Now I want you to remember from that book that conservatives build their priorities and build their policies on top of a moral, a moral set of foundations. Their moral foundations are loyalty to one another, respect for authority, and respect for the sacred, the noble, the lofty, the exalted. And I want you to remember that liberals build their priorities and their policy on moral, on moral foundations. Their moral foundations are uh, care for one another, fairness for everyone, and freedom from oppression. Now, when you hear those put as moral foundations, who among us doesn't think that all of those are moral foundations? Of course they are. But our force-feed story machine has completely untethered our priorities and our policies from our moral foundations. And that's the story that is force-fed to you and force-fed to me every day we walk through this society. Our force-feed story machine has divorced us from this core truth that we won't make it as a society without all of the moral foundations, which means that we will not make it as a society without one another. This is why Jesus insisted in the ministry of peacemaking. This is why the Christian ministry of reconciliation has always been at the core of our practice of our faith. It is prerequisite that we become peacemakers. We learn the process of reconciliation if we are going to be able to fix what is broken in our world. We are, the religious people of a society, are the conscience of the society that says this is how we get from here to there. This is how you do your role, government. This is how you do your role, education. This is how you do your role, family system. This is how you do your role, business, in a way. And we inform the conscience of how this is done. And if we just get sucked into the same narrative, we can't do our role. We have to do better, which is why we need to work the curriculum that I was talking about in the announcement. We need to meditate. We need to practice examine of consciousness. We need to do Lectio Divina. We need to practice self-awareness and self-disclosure. We need to do the Enneagram and the worksheets. We need to see the thing that we don't see, the thing to which the story machine has blinded us. We need to unearth the thing under the thing. We need to be in one another's lives, working the circle with one another and strengthening one another by sharing our lives and sharing our souls and sharing the journey because 
This is calculus, people. This is not basic math. It is tough. We need to be our best conservative selves. And we need to be our best liberal selves and bring our best insights and our most moral foundations. Now here's an important point. Because we are different, we get to debate best practices. We get to bring our differentness to bear on how we best should move forward. But here's what we don't get to debate. We don't get to debate that it is to all of us, all of us, to care for the poor and to care for the powerless and to care for those who have been hurt and those who have been disenfranchised. And that is not a liberal thing. It is our duty to one another. It is our duty to our society and it is our duty to our world. We follow Jesus, which means we don't get any other starting point. We are in this thing together and suffering for one is suffering for all. That's not a political idea. That's a Jesus idea. That's a Moses idea. And if it has become a liberal idea, well then shame on both liberals and conservatives for letting it become so because it's a human idea, it's a spiritual idea, it's a how civilization functions idea. We have to pass this class. The religious institution is the conscience of the society. If we don't get this right, it doesn't get right. We've got to pass this class, which means we have to do better, which means we have to get the help that we need so that we can pass this class, and thus the curriculum. So I am 60 now, and man, 60 has gone like a heartbeat. I just called a friend that I had in junior high and high school, and we were talking about where our lives have gone over this time, and it was yesterday when we were in junior high school. And now my grandchildren are three and one, which means that in another heartbeat, they're going to be 63 and they're going to be 61. And the world that we leave to them must be shaped by somebody. Somebody. And when I say somebody, I mean us. The world they inherit must be shaped by somebody who is able to rise above and who is able to see beyond the force-fed narrative. We have to pass this class. We have to pass this class. Now, that wasn't the introduction that I imagined for this lesson, but I think it is appropriate because that's exactly what the story of Jonah says. We've got to pass this class. I liked the song that George sang, but it only told the first two-thirds of the story. There's a third more. So let me tell you that story. But first, remember what we said last week. The Babylonians are coming. They're assimilating everybody in the region. They're doing to them what they will eventually do to us. They're carting their children away as they will cart our children away. And they will train them in the ways of the empire and then they will send them back to be puppet rulers of a vassal state. So it's a painful time. And it's an anxious time. And it's a fearful time. Some of the darkest times in our tradition's history. And as we said... For times of threat, our brains have developed a strategy to eliminate any distractions that divide us from each other so that we can consolidate our togetherness because that way we can stand united against danger. 
So it's wired right into our brains. When there is danger coming, we eliminate anything that divides us so that we can gather together, which means that under times of threat, we circle the wagons, which means under times of threat, we often find another that we can all demonize because that way we can consolidate our togetherness. And those who did that in the past survived. So that's an inheritable trait, it would appear, because we all tend to do that, wired right into our brains. And... Our tradition teaches us, wired into your brains though it is, don't do that. Don't do that thing where you circle the wagons and demonize the other. But you and I, we're not immune to this pressure that goes on in our brains and so we do it anyway. We step back from the wisdom of our tradition and we lose our way. And then later, when we find it again, we teach our children Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. When you read the parts of the scripture that seem at odds with Abraham's mandate to bless all the people, all the nations, all the people of all the earth, when you read the parts of the scripture that are at odds with that, the parts that will say, stay away from the foreigner, or don't touch the foreigner, or don't eat with the foreigner, or make sure there's racial purity in your villages back 10 generations When you read that kind of stuff, there's a good chance it was written under one of these times of threat. We referenced Deuteronomy 23 and 24. If you read those chapters, those are really some harsh words. They were written at this time when the Babylonians were coming and we were afraid. So during that time, when the Babylonians were coming, when we were afraid, a prophet stood up in the marketplace to tell the story of Jonah. He didn't say, we've lost our way, people, and we have to find it again. He was much more clever than that. He told a story about a bumbling, incompetent prophet whose name was Jonah. Jonah's job was to be the conscience of the people, and he was really bad at his job. So bad that the people who were hearing the story told were able to laugh at Jonah. Because Jonah was convinced, just like everybody else, that what we're doing is exactly the right thing. This is the way that we ought to be living. Of course the foreigners are the problem. Of course that's why God's punishing us. We got too cozy with foreigners. That's our problem. And again, this was a really good storyteller. Standing there in the marketplace, which was kind of the best thing they had to replace television back then in the day. And he was telling the story about a man whose job was to be the one who helped us see our blind spots, instead suffering the same blind spots as everybody else. He's an incompetent prophet, a little bit of a knucklehead. Jonas had the same prejudices that everyone else in the marketplace had, so Jonah was surprised when God gave him the mandate of Abraham. Go into all the nations and bless all the nations. In particular for you, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. What he heard was, go be polluted by intimate contact with foreigners. What God said was, go invite people into the same divine life experience into which you have been invited. But because what he heard was, go be polluted by intimate contact with foreigners, he balked. Well, of course he balked. And all the people knew exactly why he did. Because they knew God would never say that. Just read Deuteronomy 23 and 24, God. Clearly, you would not say that. 
God has been very clear. We are to avoid the foreigner. But the storyteller is insistent. In his story, God is insistent. Against everything that Jonah believed, against everything that everybody believed, God kept on insisting. And so eventually Jonah did what people do when they're in a bind. He said yes, but he meant no. He went down to the Nineveh, but at the last minute he tricked God and he jumped on the Tarshish boat. And as his boat was sailing out into the beautiful Mediterranean, all was good. He was able to get through that pickle keeping his current mental constructs intact because clearly God did not understand what God was saying. And everything's going along swimmingly until a storm comes up and lightning and thunder and the storyteller paints a very scary picture for the people. A tiny ship flots them on an open sea, fear, danger, threat. And the captain turns to Jonah and says, what did you do, buddy? And this is the part where people begin to snicker a little bit because Jonah starts to whimper. And he says, well, there is this one little thing that I did. God told me to go there and I went here and the people listening to the story begin to laugh a little bit. But then he goes on and he says, but it's crazy, right? To the captain, he says, God told me to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, for crime and his sake. Doesn't God know that Nineveh, Ninevites are foreigners? Doesn't God know that they are the corrupting force? Come on, captain, what else could I do? And the captain says, well, yeah, we are about to die, but I really do get your point. But then the waves wash over the deck and staring death in the face captain says, I really do understand your predicament, Jonah. I really do. It isn't fair. They are Ninevites, but you got to go. And then the storyteller tells the fish part. Jonah's three miserable days in the belly of the fish. And when he is spit out, wouldn't you know it? What a great story. He is walking distance from Nineveh. And you would think that the story would end there, except the storyteller is pretty smart. So he knows that these kinds of prejudices die very, very hard, so he tells more to the story. Even after the trauma, Jonah is still unable to get it. And at this point, the people are thinking, what a knucklehead, how didn't he get that? Well, I would certainly get it if I was swallowed by a fish. That's dramatic enough for me, I would have learned. But instead, Jonah, he doesn't get it yet. Because when he does land walking distance from Nineveh, and he walks to Nineveh, he doesn't go to the city square where people go to say things that need to be said. He goes to the back alleys. And instead of shouting out what needs to be said, he just mumbles it. And he is hoping against hope that they won't listen because they are, after all, damn foreigners and they have no business turning to God. But even back there in the back alleys with him mumbling, they listened. <laughs> and they turned toward light and life. And then the storyteller puts words into Jonah's mouth, shrewdly pitting Jonah and those who were hearing the story against God. Why did you send me here, God? Why are you forgiving them, God? They are foreigners. Did you hear me? They're foreigners, God. And the story makes Jonah so petty that you have to laugh at him because he stomps away like a child and he sits up on a hill overlooking the town and he is just pissed that God would let foreigners off the hook. <laughs> And then he falls asleep. And he falls asleep, a miserable, angry man. 
And in the night, a tree crops up over the top of him so that the next day he can keep hating Nineveh, but now he could do it in the shade, and that's better. (laughs) But the next night, a worm eats the tree, and now the tree dies. And so in the morning, he actually weeps for the death of the tree. And then the storyteller has God speak to Jonah and say, Jonah, you grieve over a tree, but you have no pity for 120,000 people in that city below. You ignore the commission of Abraham to bless. All you want to do is curse. You want suffering and you want death and you want destruction. You're a hard, hard man, Jonah. You're a heartless, heartless man. And now, nobody is laughing. And that's where the story ends. You're a hard, hard man, Jonah. You're a heartless, heartless man. It's genius storytelling because he gets the people to laugh at Jonah and he gets the people even to laugh at themselves. He gets them to ridicule this foolish, bumbling, hard-hearted, calloused, prejudiced man and in the, con- in the process to ridicule themselves. And then he lowers the boom and he says, you are a hard, hard people. And you are a heartless, heartless people. Now, as I said last week, They were in a time of danger and anxiety. And we are in a time of danger and anxiety. And for us, there are plenty of candidates out there for us to focus on as the other. We can focus on plenty of strangers, plenty of foreigners, and we can use them as foils to help us with our anxiety in this historical moment. We've got political strangers, and we've got racial strangers, and we've got immigrant strangers, and we've got trade war strangers, and we've got election interfering strangers, and our brains will do what brains do. And we will get sucked into the force of this storytelling machine. Unless... Our spirituality enables us to do better. And if it doesn't, Jonah's storyteller will speak to us. You're a heartless, heartless people. And that storyteller will say, don't do that. We have a higher mandate. Don't do that. Work the circle. Don't do that. Share the struggle with one another because this is calculus, man. This is hard. This is difficult. But don't settle for just following that force feed story machine. This is a class you have to pass. So I was speaking with a friend this week about his struggle with his mother. And it's a struggle that happens in a lot of families across our nation because his mother seemed to have turned her religious values completely on their head in order to pledge allegiance to the force-feed story machine. And it's his mother. So how does he talk to her? And how does he love her? And how does he raise his children? And how does he encourage relationship with grandma when grandma has become the Ninevite? This is calculus, people. This is not basic math. This is really, really hard. But it is our mandate. And it is our heritage. And it is something to which we are called 
because there is something inside of this spiritual tradition of ours, there is something on this spiritual journey of ours that can make us able to bring blessing to all the world, to all the peoples of all the earth, and to see a bigger picture, a bigger vision, and to be the conscience of our nation and to lead our families out, and to lead our friends out, and to lead our co-workers out of this toxic, force-fed story that is always going on around us. Prejudice is really helpful if you want to feel secure. Because what we can do with our prejudices is feel like we're with our people, and we're good when we're frightened. But it's a deal with the devil. Because the long-term consequences will kill us in the end. Now, I use the word prejudice, but that word's never used out there. Because the force-feed story machines know that that is a word that we would object to. Instead, they will just make the case that this is how evil the other is. This is how bad the other is. This is what's going on. But make no mistake, prejudice is a deal with the devil. And it will kill us. And it is not what our tradition is called to. We can do better, and we have to do better. We've got a circle to work that will help us. We have a curriculum that will help us. We have a tradition that will guide us. We have ancient scriptures that will teach us. But it is calculus, people. Of course we don't get it. It's hard. But we've got to get it. We've got to figure this out. When my friend used the metaphor of calculus, I remember taking calculus when I was in college. When I was, when I was in college, there were quarters instead of semesters, so I had five quarters of calculus. Quarter one, I barely missed an A. Quarter two, I barely got a B. Quarter three, I barely got a C. I stopped. I decided, I did. <laughs> I decided that I was going to be a historian instead. <laughs> But during that time, every time that the tutor was available, I was in that office saying, I do not get this stuff. This is crazy. It's that hard. This is really, really difficult. So we need all the help we can get. And our tradition has given it to us. But make no mistake, it's difficult. I have to monitor myself every time I watch the television not to say what is in my mind and to bring myself to understanding there is a bigger picture. This is not the whole story. There is more to the story than that. And I have to make myself see from all the different perspectives. It's hard. It is challenging. But if we don't do it, there will be no voice in our nation to be the conscience of our society. If we don't do it, and all the other congregations out there, if we don't do it, then religion does not fulfill its mandate to elevate the conversation, to elevate the discourse, and to elevate the character required to live in a pluralistic society. It is to us, and I pray that we do. Holy Spirit, may we learn from the wisdom of our ancestors, and may we live accordingly. Amen.